Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. DT, one of our commenters there at DogNation.com, said it is good to be live again. And yes, indeed, it feels very good to be talking to you after a week away from me, or at least a few days away uh, from me on board Icon of the Seas. And here in a brand new studio, we're just showing this off to our video folks say a little while ago. If you're podcast, radio, this may not mean quite as much to you as it uh, does to them and to our live audience, the chance to be able to stream this and just sort of, uh, you know, kind of put it out there to the world the way we've come to expect. We are so happy about being able to do all of that. Now, all the things you've come to expect from our show, you've still got all of that. It's John Stinchcomb later on. It's a look around the rest of the SEC later on. And it's a deep dive, of course, on Georgia football, as you have come to expect. Now, let me confess something right here off the top. We'll kind of roll into the show here today. I love doing this program. In fact, one of my favorite things about my life is, is that when I have a chance to be away for a few days, I don't have that sort of like, what do you call it, like Sunday scaries or like the little feeling of dread about, oh, i got to go back to work. I don't really have that. I'm always very, uh, uh, you know, excited and eager to get back and doing this show again on a regular basis. I'm very thankful that I feel that way. But I must admit, when I was kind of sitting, and I was actually at WWE SmackDown when this went down. Um, so I'm sitting there at uh, State Farm Arena for SmackDown, and you get the thing on the phone, and you start realizing the texts are blowing up, and everybody's talking and chatting, whatever else. You realize that Caleb Downs is not coming to Georgia, as we all expected that he might, and, and probably was. He is instead going to Ohio State. There was, for me, at that particular moment, a little bit of, Okay, good. I don't have to talk about this for a few days because at that point in time, the pre-recorded shows were kind of all in the can. Uh, we weren't really dealing with that live as it happened, but we knew we'd have a chance to come back and talk to it. So for a few days, Caleb Downs going to Ohio State, not coming to Georgia, was not necessarily my problem. And I have to say that I was kind of happy about that. You know, not having to sort of die because the show is never as much fun when you're talking about bad news. It's never quite as good to be doing something like that. But the other thing here is, is when you have a few days to sort of simmer on something like this and kind of think about it, I think I've probably come up with a couple of thoughts that I don't know that I necessarily would have had, like, right in the moment that all of this went down. Now, I totally realize that this is a little bit more new for me than it is for some of you. You were not on board Icon of the Seas last week, I don't believe. And so, therefore, you've had your time to sort of make peace with the Downs news and sort of figure out what that meant for you, GA. I'm a little bit of a sort of last guy in on the fray on something like this. But let me try to give you a couple of fresh ideas in terms of what I think this means for Georgia and kind of spin this forward here a little bit. By now, many of you are aware that the story of Downs, the former Alabama safety, choosing Ohio State, comes with the idea that Ohio State has just spent huge dollars on its NIL. There was a big story in the Wall Street Journal the other day. A lot of the other outlets sort of picked this up. I want to show you this from our friends at Front Office Sports talking about the, uh, the, uh, the, the piece here. And this is what Front Office Sports writes off of the Wall Street Journal piece. Then in the days following Michigan's win in the college football playoff, Ohio State is reportedly spending at least $10 million and perhaps $13 million in name, image, and likeness money to retain and add key roster pieces. The numbers are unconfirmed. Everything with NIL seems to be. But the, the, the story goes on to say, but the frenzy surrounding the Buckeyes has still grown to the point where it's captured the attention of the Wall Street Journal. 
Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin, and legions of fans across the country. Houston Texans quarterback and former Buckeye C.J. Stroud has also become, quote, a major donor to the school as it ramps up for next season. So that's what front office sports said about the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes allegedly spending all this NIL money because from Ohio State's perspective, it's time to win right now. And this is where, for me, this story becomes about so much more than just Ohio State wrestling away Caleb Downs because this becomes, I believe, the important template for how college football works, broadly speaking, in the big picture. Why is it that Ohio State feels so much pressure to win right now? Why is it that the Buckeyes are more anxious and you know, kind of on pins and needles about getting this done than they perhaps would have been in the past? The answer is obvious. The uh, quote we just gave you from Front Office Sports uh, talked about that in pretty plain English. The issue here is that Ohio State saw its hated rival Michigan win the national championship And now Ohio State, after a couple of years of not beating Michigan, not winning the Big Ten, not having nearly as much success kind of post-pandemic as it had in 2020, and, you know, know, going obviously kind of paling in comparison with the Urban Meyer era would have been for Ohio State there as well, all of a sudden the Buckeyes are saying, and perhaps the Buckeyes boosters are saying, enough is enough. We are sick of watching Michigan celebrate. We can't let another year go by without competing at the highest level ourselves, and that is what uh, apparently is motivating all this from the Ohio State standpoint. Now, I find that to be really interesting. And this is where, as I said before, this becomes far more than just about what is happening with Caleb Downs. This becomes about the ultimate motivating factor in every college football program. The thing that motivates you more than anything else, it's not – chasing the the pleasure of success it's avoiding the pain of watching your rival succeed if you want to kind of sort of boil down college football to its basic essence and if you really want to understand what makes the sport the sport and what makes the sport the kind of thing that so many of us have sort of devoted our lives to as our number one pastime or our, our occupation or whatever else the reason why so many of us become college football obsessives is because of that simple point the thing that drives college programs to success is not trying to obtain the pleasure of what it feels like to win. It's about avoiding the pain of watching someone you hate win. Rivals are motivators. That is the ultimate essence of the sport. And Ohio State is motivated right now because Michigan won a national championship. So therefore, allegedly, we'll go out and spend a million dollars on this and a million dollars on that and blah, blah, blah. We'll, we'll, We'll go out and do all of that because we saw Michigan win a national championship. And if we understand that as just sort of universally true for our sport, I think it puts Georgia in a pretty interesting spot here right now. Because Georgia is in a very weird realm with some of its rivals. On the one hand, teams like South Carolina and Tennessee that we would sort of think of as kind of lower-tier rivalries with Georgia, those games are no longer going to be played on a yearly basis anymore. You can have the argument of, well, is it still a rivalry if you're not playing it every year. It may be a competitive series. It may be an emotional game. But if you're not playing it every year, is Georgia-Tennessee still a rivalry? Is Georgia-South Carolina still a rivalry? And if that's true for those two, you kind of wonder where this leaves you for, like, say, the Deep South's oldest rivalry between Georgia and Auburn. It certainly seems like right now there is a very good chance that in the future world of the SEC – this league is going to hold on to its eight-game conference schedule. And if it does, moving forward, 
That means that there will not be a Georgia-Auburn taking place every year. Now, I believe that the history between these two teams will uh, lead you to believe that Georgia and Auburn will still be a rivalry, even if they're not playing every year anymore. Uh, you know, not playing every year anymore. But it is going to feel different. There is no doubt about that. And by the way, Auburn hasn't been very good lately. The kind of motivation that the Ohio State feels because of Michigan's championship success, Auburn can't provide that kind of pressure for Georgia right now because for a long time, Auburn hasn't been good enough to do that. That's also true for the one team that we know that Georgia will always play, and that's Florida. When we started the Gator Hater Countdown and the Gator Hater Updater, and we started doing all that kind of stuff, bringing Eddie on the set and doing all those types of things, we started doing that. The idea behind us doing that was sort of based on the notion that, hey, you need to challenge yourself with the toughest rival that you can find. And calling Florida your top rival over a program like Georgia Tech, which barely ever wins anything, was so much more advantageous for UGA. It gave Georgia something more to aspire to by thinking of Florida as your biggest rival, more so than, say, your in-state rival like Georgia Tech, which is not really a program that competes at the same level. But while that may have been true when we first started preaching all of this, the truth is, is that Florida has fallen on such hard times right now that even they are no longer possible to sort of put the pressure on Georgia that Ohio State certainly uh, feels right now from Michigan because Michigan won the national championship. If rivals are motivators, it is certainly worth noticing right now that Georgia's not getting that obvious natural motivation from its rivals, the Auburns, the Floridas, because they're not very good right now. Now, I don't think that's going to mean the rivalries are going to go away. It just means the extra boost that a team like Ohio State's perhaps getting because of what Michigan has done. Georgia's not currently getting that. But I think that creates an opportunity for UGA as we move ahead into this new era of SEC scheduling, that Georgia has a chance to redefine itself a little bit, which doesn't mean that you completely forget your past. But I do think in this new year, a year of so much change in college football, it gives you a chance to embrace the newness that we're about to all experience. And Georgia can, I would say, add to its list of rivals just a little bit more and start treating a couple of other opponents a little bit more like traditional rivals in a way they really have not been in the past. Let me give you kind of a final point on this to sort of boost what I'm trying to say. The other day ESPN.com was doing not an SEC list but a full college football list of all the things they were excited about for the upcoming college football season, kind of an early, way too early look at what's going to happen here in 2024. And this piece, sort of written by a number of ESPN writers, kind of focused in on uh, some of the games that were the most exciting for the upcoming year. And it only mentioned eight games. Across the entire country, only mentioned eight games. But of the eight games that were mentioned, two of those – involve the Georgia Bulldogs. And so if the point we're making here is, hey, in 2024, Georgia can kind of redefine itself by introducing itself to some new rivalries, ESPN.com seems to be kind of boosting that point itself. Let me first of all show you what uh, was said by Chris Lowe about the Georgia-Alabama game. Uh, coming up, obviously, September 28th, one of the biggest games of the year. And what uh, Lowe kind of points out is it's only the fifth time in the past 20 years that these two SEC powerhouses, he called them, have played in the regular season. Georgia and Alabama historically have not been much of a rival, uh, haven't been much in the way of rivals. This has not been much of a rivalry because the two teams just don't play very frequently. Uh, as Lowe says, just uh, five times in the last 20 years. 
But in the new look SEC, Georgia and Alabama are going to be playing a lot more frequently. And for Georgia, that could be a good thing because Alabama, even with Kalen DeBoer at head coach, right now looks like a much better program than Auburn or Florida, the more traditional rivals for UGA. And if you get motivation by fighting against a tough, you know, competitive rival, well, Alabama might provide that for UGA. And obviously, September 28th does stand to be a really big game there. Now, some of you kind of already think of Alabama as one of Georgia's rivals. I certainly understand that. There is another team, though, that I don't think any Georgia fan has necessarily sort of historically thought as a rival to UGA. But moving forward in the new-look SEC, this is a way that Georgia has a chance to define itself. This is a program that can become a rival to UGA. Once again, this ESPN.com story mentioning uh, the game coming up against Texas on October 19th. Adam Rittenberg's the rival, I should say the writer here, and he says of this Georgia-Texas game that Georgia will likely enter the season at number one with an excellent chance to win its third national title in four seasons. Uh, he says, but a midseason trip to Austin is going to tell you a lot, though, especially if Texas can build on its breakthrough 2023 season with quarterback Quinn Ewers. And that's sort of the point that I want to uh, focus on for a moment. You can take that down now. Thank you so much. But in the case of Ohio State, when it looks across and sees Michigan, it sees Michigan having something that Ohio State doesn't currently have, and that's a national championship. It's a motivation because you're watching your rival celebrate. And if Georgia wants to redefine itself here in 2024 and truly embrace the new SEC, well, one of the easiest ways to do that with some new rivalries is going to be played on a much more frequent basis. Georgia and Texas have only played one time ever before in the regular season. That was, I believe, 1958. But the point here is if you want to embrace these new games, these new opponents as rivals, then the easiest way to do that is to look at them the same way that Ohio State looks at Michigan. It sees the Wolverines as having a national championship, something right now that Ryan Day doesn't have. Georgia can look at Alabama and say, you're the reigning SEC champion. We want that. You can look at Texas and say, you were in the college football playoff this year. That's where we want to be next year. We think we should have been there in 2023, but we want to be there for sure in 2024. You were there. That's the kind of motivation that rivalries can provide. Now, historically, Georgia and Alabama, this has not really been much of a rivalry because the two teams don't play very much. Georgia and Texas almost have never existed within the same orbit. But embracing those two programs as rivalries and embracing those two teams as rivals moving into the new year, I think for Georgia that could be a very powerful dose of motivation to get the dogs right back where they want to be in 2024. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're glad to have you with us here today, live across all platforms, and of course, brought to you by our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia. So it's great to be back on the radio, Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. Great to be back across all video platforms here today, there as well. How much fun is that? And of course, podcast. We certainly appreciate your loyalty to us there on the podcast platforms there too. And so thankful to our friends at Pella, Window and Door of Georgia, for making it all possible for you here today. Energy-efficient windows and doors, that is what Pella, Window and Door of Georgia is all about. As I'm sitting here in a new home right now in our brand new Dog Nation World Headquarters studio, I'm reminded about those of you who have new homes that you're living in there as well, how great and cozy those new homes feel. And so many great builders around our area are choosing the Pella Windows and Doors as they are building because, in fact, when I drive through new neighborhoods and things like that, I see the Pella sticker all the time because this is the best way for a builder to show he's taking the best possible care to build the best home possible. And if you're a homeowner and you want to take the best possible care of your home there as well, 
then getting those Pella windows and doors is a great way for you to do that too. So stop by and see them at their Experience Center in Duluth. You can put your hand on the product and find out what makes it different and better. You can also give them a call, 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Or you can see them online, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com uh, slash Dog Nation. Take advantage of great savings, all kinds of fun things going on. Just make sure you tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily said they would take good care of you because I know that they will. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, so we told you before on our show, everything for the most part kind of the same way you've come to expect it in the past. That means our buddy John Stinchcomb coming up here in a moment. But for those of you who watch the show, you get a chance to see John's face on a more regular basis now, which is something we really enjoy doing. We'll get that with John here coming up in a couple of minutes. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And I want to talk a little bit more about the downs thing just for a moment. Now, here's where I'm going to get myself in trouble with some of you because what I'm about to say is going to come across a little bit as like spin control. You know, we're kind of in that sort of political season. It seems like everything is a political season these days, but you know what spin control is, right? You take the facts and you sort of spin them to make it sort of be a little bit more appealing to your base, a little bit more favorable to your friendlies. And what I'm about to say here is going to come across that way to some people. But as a way of pushing back against that, I want to kind of start by just being very candid and very honest. Obviously, we wanted George to get Caleb Downs. We spoke about this over and over again. We believe that Downs is truly one of the great players in all of college football. We're very much on the record about all of this. And as a way of kind of bolstering that, let me play you a clip we've already played for you that's Kirby Smart going back to December once again talking about how good Caleb Downs is so the record can be complete and fully understood that when we talk about Georgia not getting Downs, we're talking about a very good player choosing to go elsewhere. That's a fact. That's not in a dispute here right now. So let me bring the Kirby Smart clip back into evidence here. Kirby from December on just how valuable a commodity Caleb Downs as a safety can be. Take a listen to this. He don't look like a freshman at all. He looks like a guy that's been playing for three years. Um, he's instinctive. Uh, he's fast. Uh, he's fearless. Um, he's everything that he was in high school. I mean, we got to see him. I've seen him play about 107 on seven games at, at our stadium and at our facility uh, when his high school team came over here all the time. And he's everything that uh, that we thought he was, punt returner. Uh, he's just a football player that is instinctive, great tackler, um, just what you draw up when you want a, a defensive back. So there you go. So that's what we know. In dispute, Kirby Smart right there, that's how good of a player Caleb Downs is. So we understand that. But that said, Caleb Downs also would have represented a luxury for UGA. It would have been luxurious to have both of the best safeties in America. As it stands, George will have to settle for having one of the two best safeties in America. Downs is a great player, but Downs would have been a luxury for UGA. And now that Downs has chosen to go elsewhere, I think this does provide a little bit of an opportunity for UGA to do what it really needed to do the entire time anyway that it's fun to kind of have your eyes on a luxury, and if you have a chance to obtain luxury, of course, almost anyone would want to do that. But there are also necessities, and focusing now on the necessity for Georgia I think becomes even more important in light of the Downs news that we've all had kind of a week to sort of simmer over here for a moment. And the necessity for Georgia, as you understand, is fixing some issues there on the front end of the defense. It would have been great and luxurious to add a player like this to the back end of your defense. 
But it would not have changed what we've said before is Georgia's most important need for the new year, and that's some issues there on the front end of the defense that need to get back to looking a little bit more like what Georgia has looked like in the past. Let me give you a couple of numbers here just for a moment. If, if you look at rushing yards per carry allowed for UGA this past season, Georgia was just 37th in the country, giving up 3.77 yards per rush. Compare that to 2022, when Georgia was third best in America in terms of rushing yards allowed per carry. In 2021, they were second best in that same category. So a huge drop from second to third, down to 37th here this year. Same thing when it comes to another category and stat where like defensive line play is really important when it comes to tackles for loss in 2021 georgia was 10th in america with 101 tackles for loss in 2022 georgia was 20th best in america with 91 tackles for loss this past season though 2023 georgia drops down to 65th best in america with just 72 tackles for loss so you could put Caleb Downs on your roster i don't know that it necessarily changes those two issues Georgia needs to be more dynamic up front defensively and just frankly a little more stout compared to the very best versions of Georgia in back-to-back -back national championship seasons of 2021 and 2022. So the bottom line on all of this is simply it would have been great to have a luxury product like Caleb Downs on the Georgia roster, but the presence of that luxury would not have changed Georgia's necessity. The overwhelming need to get better with your defensive line, to build a defensive line again that looks a little bit more like the kind of thing that has led Georgia to national championships in the past. Now that the down story is over, Georgia can spend its time focusing on what truly matters, the true necessity for this program, which is what it's going to do up front. That is around the doghouse here today. We're going to get John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment. Prior to that, though, many of you know I just got back from a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation on board Icon of the Seas. I'm actually going to show you something really fun from that before we're done today, but it also gets me excited about our Dog Nation cruise coming up in April, and it gets me really excited about knowing that we've got a couple of days left for you to register for your chance to win your way onto the Dog Nation Cruise, Allure of the Seas, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. Now, by now, hopefully you've been registering. I've been telling you about this all while I've been gone, but it's really, really important that you take advantage of these final couple of days to get on board with all of that. So here's what you need to do. Go to dognation.com. It's right there at the top of the page. Easy to click into, easy to get in, uh, you know, going there on that. And all you got to do is just give us your information and also tell us your favorite memory from Brock Bauer's career here at UGA. Do that. Let us know that. And if you're the winner, uh, you're going to get a stateroom for two, you and a guest. Uh, you're going to get a hotel room in the Port Canaveral area the night before the cruise leaves. That's on April 21st. A gas card to help you travel towards Port Canaveral. And, of course, some onboard credit to enjoy while you're on board Allure of the Sea. So someone's going to be a lucky winner. Super easy there at dognation.com to share your info with us, to give us your favorite Brock Bowers memory. And then one of those entrants is going to be selected at random. Uh, that's going to be our winner, you and a guest, on your way on board Allure of the Seas coming up with us there in April. Really, really fun giveaway, courtesy of our friends at Kroger on all of that. All right, so before we're done, you're going to love some video of me. Those of you who like making fun of me and laughing, you're going to really have a chance to do that here coming up in just a moment, especially if you're live on video and if you're on audio. We'll describe this to you hopefully as well as we possibly can. But for now, on everything as it relates to Georgia, kind of what's next for UGA as it kind of moves into a little bit more what feels like the true off season on all of this. Let's get ready to bring on our great friend, 
the former UJ All-American, a Super Bowl champion. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the upcoming big game with him there, too. It's John Stinchcomb today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Boy, great to have John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia Today. And great to see John's handsome face. You're talking about ratings. You put that mug on the screen, you're going to have uh, all the folks tuning in to see a little bit more of him. John, you're always so kind to be a part of our show as we kind of usher into a brand new era here. Uh, you're also kind enough to be with us live on video. I certainly appreciate that. It's great to be talking to you back live here again as well. I'm not hearing John. There, now I am. Go, go ahead, John. From you? Yeah, go ahead, John. Thank you for that. Um, and I look forward to you caught me with the hook, so I'm going to stick around because I want to see these pictures from the cruise. That uh, it, it certainly has me waited with bated breath. Ba, we'll certainly do some of that here coming up in a moment. I was just talking to you, or should, should say, talking to our audience a moment ago about what goes down with Caleb Downs. And by now, a lot of those folks have had a chance to sort of process some of that. So I tried to kind of approach this from a little bit of a different angle, you know. It is certainly true that Ohio State seemingly has chosen to spend big here, and the pressure of uh, you know Michigan winning a national championship I think puts the spotlight on Ryan Day. That's what you got to do. And as I said before, John, you know this is one of the things that I think makes college football really fun and and really special, which is that the the success of a rival kind of motivates you to kind of go out and be even better than you otherwise would be because you don't want to see that bunch celebrating anymore. So when you think about, you know, Alabama, who's the reigning SEC champion, Texas, who's now in this league after having been in the playoff a year ago, that's maybe perhaps all the motivation that, that you know, Georgia perhaps needs now moving forward, knowing that some of these teams in this conference have something that we want and it's uh, time to go out there and retake that for ourselves. Is that right? I think so. I think it, you, you look at the landscape that's been created, and specifically for Caleb Downs, he has an opportunity to pick and choose wherever he wants to go. And there are programs that have open, opened up their purse, purses and been able to pay, and Ohio State's leading the way this offseason. You look at Judkins' pickup, now Caleb Downs. They're willing to spend to get some of these top names from the transfer portal. Now, if you're a Georgia fan, uh, would you want a Caleb Downs on your roster? Absolutely. But like you just said before I got on on air, that would be a luxury. I think there's uh, bodies already training in Athens that are more than capable. And uh, that's a position of, of want and certainly not need. So uh, you would love to get a Caleb Downs, especially as a hometown kid from just up the 316 to where Athens is. And uh, from all accounts, one of the highest character guys in, in college football. So uh, certainly not somebody you think, oh, we, d- we didn't need him any. We wouldn't want him anyway. But um, that's where we are in, in college football. And for Caleb himself, you look at it and say, you know, he had an opportunity to come to Athens. But, you know, my understanding is what what was being offered from Ohio State is – significantly more financially and you know this is not free agency this is not the nfl where there's a salary cap so if there's other programs that are able willing and able to outspend others and still offer you know that national landscape the national recognition and and potential to be relevant in the postseason you know there's a lot that makes sense for a guy like that with that said there's there's no program like georgia's and um, that has certainly carried a lot of weight, not only with transfer 
eligible players, but those coming out of the high school ranks. What do you think about some of the stuff that's you know kind of being said about the big dollars that are being thrown around here? You know, the idea whether it's this player or any other player. You know, the allegations of other oh, spending ten million, they're spending thirteen million, they're spending whatever else. You know, a the numbers are getting larger and larger and larger in terms of what you're hearing, but b they're also not getting any easier to substantiate. What do you make of the fact that there is so much out there, you know, related to this that can be just completely, you know, no no ability to confirm it whatsoever. The reports are out there, but the actual tangible facts don't seem to be any more prevalent than they've ever been in the past. Oh yeah, there's so much smoke going on that you can't discern what real numbers are. And and uh, from my talks with Will Lawler this past week, where the athletic board we had a meeting about NIL and how that impacts student athletes. So, you know, you're sitting there with Tanner and Will and hearing about NIL opportunities for our student athletes, which are great. And it's hard to substantiate what's going on across the campus unless other um, compliance officers are sharing information that is accurate there's no way to really tell what kind of deals are on the table. So some of these numbers that are floated out, you know, whether they're substantiated by the player specifically, um, that's probably the most reliable way for guys, the few guys that have said I've received X amount of dollars in, uh, in NIL money. But for us on the outside, there is no metric. There is no site that is measuring. And my understanding is that's not a requirement. NCAA doesn't require, require it. Conferences aren't requiring to disclose what those NIL deals across uh, their student athlete portal uh, or, or what the, what's available to them. So, you know, that's another thing that uh, can either be a positive or a negative because I, I'm sure there's been a lot of players that uh, end up going places with expectations that are not met. And so, you know, it's hard to discern. I think as a player, you kind of have to weed through. Uh, what is what is true, what's available, and what might be a lot of smoke and fluff. Before we change the subject, if you don't, don't mind me asking you, you know, having had conversations with a guy like Will Lawler and being on the athletic board yourself, what would you say that Georgia's message to its fans would be as it relates to NIL right now? Yeah, I, I think it's responsibility. And I think we're trying to, my understanding, having you know, listened to an hour and a half plus uh, presentation and ask a ton of questions is we want to be able to provide our student athletes, the university of Georgia does with the best opportunities for them to um, it, seek as they will. And, you know, there's other places that are doing things differently. And, you know, it's so hard because it's a little bit of the wild, wild west where there isn't quite the regulations in place. And we've seen the, the bar kind of move and shift as to what compliance uh, offices can do within the A program. I think you look at, at you know, what Michigan State or Miami or Tennessee or Texas A&M have done in the past, and it seems as if at times uh, what they're allowed to do and what uh, they cannot do has shifted. And so, you know, places like Florida State with uh, the Amarius Mims case I think we're still recognizing there isn't the same level of consistency from program to program. But at the University of Georgia, it is um, it's been able to recruit recruit at the highest level, especially in the football uh, football team. 
but across other athletics as well. As well, there's a number of, of players uh, in all the sports that are offered at Georgia that have been able to kind of maximize on their name, image, and likeness. I want to shift gears to what's happening in Athens here right now, and I always find this portion of the year to be really fascinating because. A, it's the time in which fans and media probably have the least access to Georgia football or just college football in general. And yet at the same time, it's also, I would say, one of the most important times of the year because this is where body transformations occur, especially for young players. This is where I think guys earn the confidence in the from the coaching staff to get the look that perhaps gives them a chance to earn a starting spot come spring practice. It feels like we are like in the most dead of offseason part of the year here right now because this is as far away as we'll ever be from the upcoming season in some respects. But, John, how important is this time of year for the players on campus? And by now, you know, so many of the signees, early enrollees, they've been here, they've been going through all this. What's it like on campus for this team right now? Well, I think it is an opportunity to make the biggest difference for the names that you already have in house. And there's a reason why so many uh, enro- early enrollees want to be on campus. And it's because of the work that they're getting in the strength and conditioning program right now. You, you see the development of players. Let's remember that we're talking about 17, 17, 18, 19 year old young men that are still filling out and they're still adding muscle and, and changing their bodies for a all the big bodies or the offensive and defensive linemen that came out of high school at 300 plus pounds. I guarantee that's not the same 300 plus pounds that they will uh, leave with. It, it may be that same number, but how it's put together is going to be drastically different than how they arrive. I, I can speak from experience. I've witnessed yeah. it. We continue to witness it, especially with the bigger frame guys. You know, one of the main challenges of playing national football, especially in the conference that we do is to be able to play in the trenches and those bigger frame guys, you you have to be able to maintain that same level of speed while stacking on muscle and playing at a very physical level. So uh, what you see is right now is the opportunity that you can make the biggest difference in your game. We've seen it for players in the past of, man, this looks like almost a totally different player as they make, you know, so usually it's from that freshman year to sophomore year. Um, and then continue to watch that development as they go along. But I think as a player, this was an opportunity to make one of the biggest differences that you can in your overall performance just by the amount of work that you can put in into you know, your, your vehicle and your vehicle is your body. So as you train and get ready, uh, it gives you, you know, six, seven months to get yourself as physically prepared for the demands of a you know, these seasons keep getting longer and longer. So that's a, it, it carries a high toll. And now's the time that you prepare yourself for, for the price that you're going to pay. I've asked you this before, and I don't remember your answer. What was harder for you as a player, being big enough or avoiding getting too big? Yeah, my, my issue was always stacking on the weight. Yeah. I, I was the guy that, you know, during season, trying to maintain that, that weight was, was a challenge for me. And you know, you played next to guys that are looking at you with disdain. And at times I did the same thing of going, I don't know how uh, you, you keep the weight on, but it's all about maintaining the right weight, right? I mean, it's for some guys, they're losing muscle and for others, they're adding blubber. So trying to maintain that 
that balance of, of good muscle content and still being at a weight that is effective for your position group is key. Would you in like fall camp, would you be, I mean, in danger of losing even more weight because you're sweating it all out? I mean, you know, the intense practices, the heat. I mean, was that a time in which you sort of felt like you had even more of that going on where, hey, I, you know, I may, I may be at so-and-so weight at 8 in the morning, but by 5 p.m. I've kind of sweated a lot of that kind of stuff out. And all of a sudden now I'm not being able to kind of move around Charles Grant quite as well as I would like to. Yeah. Is that something you would kind of find yourself dealing with? Oh, no question. I mean, there's practices you lose 13 pounds of water weight, but you're burning through a lot of calories. So mm -hmm. just being able to uh, replace those at times is a real challenge. And, you know, August for a lot of guys is there is their time to get down into their playing weight. And for others like myself, it was a struggle to maintain the weight that you're going to need to carry you through, you know, the start of the next year. In the time we have left, I want to ask you about uh, kind of a cool streak that Georgia keeps alive. For the 23rd straight year, Georgia's going to have a player, you know, in the Super Bowl. Going to have another, uh, you know, at least two players are going to win the Super Bowl. There are five active players in this year's Super Bowl. Obviously, the streak is something you were a part of there for UGA. So, John, as someone who's contributed to this 23 straight years of a player in the Super Bowl, it's tied with LSU for the longest active streak right now. You know, what does this mean? At one point, to me, it was a little bit of an anomaly, but the longer it goes on, the more you're left to conclude, well, gosh, there must be something to Georgia's ability to produce talent if it just keeps happening every year and seemingly will happen for a number of years in the future, just given how many Georgia players are currently in the NFL. What does this streak mean to you as someone who is a part of it? Well, it's a, it's a point of pride. I think we all should take pride in it. And I think there were years where it was just uh, lucky spots on a roster, right? If yeah. there's only so many teams and, you know, we just happen to have guys on one of the two teams that's playing in the Super Bowl, then, hey, that's kind of a cool streak that we're a part of. But now I think it's a testament to the level of play that Georgia continues to produce and the level of player. So, you look across the, the league and it's filled with Georgia talent and it's because of Coach Smart and his ability to continue to produce NFL professional level football talent uh, that finds success. And, you know, look at the players that are playing this year. They're not just, you know, back of the roster fillers. You're looking at guys that, you know, play pivotal roles on their team. And, um, again, I think it's a testament to where the, the program has move to and um it's something that we all can be proud of the thing i'm always fascinated by when you think about the super bowl and as i said before you have a super bowl ring coming from your time there with the new Orleans saints the thing that i'm always really fascinated by is you know as a football player you're obviously pretty famous right everybody knows who georgia football players are as an nfl guy you know everybody kind of recognizes a lot of these names but you're still playing with a thousand other teams on Sunday at 1 p.m. or Saturday, there's still a million games on. When it gets down to the Super Bowl, you're the only game in town. It's the most watched sporting event or even really the most watched TV show for the entire year. Like, how much did you kind of feel the difference of, you know, this isn't one of all the games taking place on a Saturday or Sunday. This is the game and the entire world is watching. How much of that was something that you were aware of when your Saints team was getting ready to go and kind of play in this game? Oh, we were acutely aware. Uh, you know, as you know, I played offensive tackle, yeah. and we're a team that threw the ball a bunch. And across from us with the Indianapolis Colts, there's two future Hall of Fame defensive ends that loved nothing more than to get after a pass, uh, passer, a quarterback. And you know, Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney were nightmares. So to know that 
This is going to be the most watched TV event of the year by far. And if you screw up, it's not just football fans, but also those that are just tuning in for the commercials. Uh, <laughs> I think we're all aware of that. So, you know, it comes with a lot of pressure, but it also, you know, when you're playing good football, it's that's where you want to be. You want to be on the, the brightest stage under the brightest lights against the best teams and see exactly where you're at. So it's, uh, you know, for all the alphas out there, there's no place better to be than on the big stage with all eyes on you. So you can kind of prove that, that you belong. And uh, it's exciting as a player. It's a little nerve wracking and there's some anxiety involved, but it's uh, it's a unique opportunity where, you know, this is uh, this is a moment that, will change your life. You know, it's, it's something that I, mean, I probably didn't understand the opportunities that would come from playing in a singular game. I played a lot of football games, but that one in particular sets you apart from so many others that, that had played the game alongside you. By the way, on video right now, we're getting a nice look at some of the former Georgia players who part of the Super Bowl, including a look there when they were in their Georgia uniforms, like Charlie Warner and Robert Beal. That's a nice thing to be able to see. John, real quick before we let you go, any thought on what you saw yesterday from the two games and the Super Bowl matchup that we do have? What stands out uh, to you from San Francisco really coming back against Detroit and the battle of star quarterbacks between Mahomes and uh, Jackson? How did you experience the football yesterday? Well, I enjoyed it. I, I missed uh, some of the games I was listening to while I was in transit. Uh, old Jerry Stewart, high school coach, who was a part of Parkview years while I was there and, and coached elsewhere. We had a, uh, a visitation memorial service for him, so I wasn't able to watch all of the games, but it was good to be around some other football minds, mm. some of the brightest in, in high school football as we celebrated him. But the games that I did get to see – uh, you know, I, I played with half of the staff in Detroit. So Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn and Mark Brunel, all those guys I saw as teammates. And now you see them as coaches and, you know, you just you hate it for them on those fourth downs and that third down with you know Reynolds, a couple drop passes there. And it's aggressive football, which is the only way I knew Dan to play it. And, uh, you know, it, I think it kind of bit them in the end. There's some questions. You go, eh, maybe we just take the points here. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of what you expect at this level of play is, you know, you're, you're leaving all your cards on the table. And uh, it, it's a big jump just to get to that game. Um, and so it's exciting to see for some of those teams. If I'm going to be candid, uh, I didn't wasn't exactly keen on watching Kansas City return. Once again, I was kind of excited for some of the underdogs, yeah. the Baltimores and Detroits to get those opportunities. But, you know, it's it's a game that you have to earn the opportunity. And I think San Francisco and Kansas City did just that. John, I tell you what, it's great to speak to you. really appreciate you being here as a part of uh, Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window Indoor of Georgia in our brand new studio, by the way. You look great. We're thankful to have you. And we will look forward to plenty more fun conversations coming up with you in the weeks ahead. Well, if I look great, it's a lot of smokes and mirrors, and I appreciate the new studio more than you know. Uh, but I appreciate it, B.A., and go dogs. Thanks, John. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Fruit. How much do you love John Stinchcomb, man? I tell you what, a great guest, a great guy to talk Georgia football with. And I'm always really impressed, and we've done this now with John for a good number of years, but you're always really impressed about that first-person perspective on – Here's what it feels like to be drafted in the NFL. Here's what it feels like to be a starter at this level in the, in the league. Here's what it feels like to win a Super Bowl. 
That's the kind of first-person perspective that very few people in life really have a chance to provide, but John Stinchcomb is one of the guys that do. So I find that to be really cool and really impressive, and I find that to be a, a lot of fun. Now, we're going to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here, but I'm going to take some time to talk to you about something here just for a moment. So a lot of you know I just got back from Icon of the Seas, and I just want to tell you for a moment here how much fun all of this was. And I'm going to talk about something specific here just for a moment. Now, there is a reason for me why I love inviting people to go on Royal Caribbean cruise vacations, both Icon of the Seas that I was just on, our Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. There is a reason why this sort of means so much to me. And my time on Icon of the Seas, really very fortunate, I was invited by Royal Caribbean, got a chance to be one of the first to be on board. This great cruise ship, the largest cruise ship ever constructed. But being on board Icon of the Seas kind of gave me a little bit of an idea about why I really enjoy recommending this so much to all of you. It's because, for whatever reason, a, a cruise ship like Icon of the Seas, a, a vacation like Royal Caribbean, gives you a chance to experience something that you would probably never try on your own. And I'll tell you, for me, that was exactly true on Icon of the Seas. I'm sort of a man of leisure in many ways. You know, when I go on a, uh, a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, you know, I love like the Windjammer Cafe and I love the specialty restaurants, Chops Grill and Giovanni's and, and all those things. You know, I, I love enjoying the great food. I, I love enjoying the bars and lounges and all the, the, they had a great rock band called Phoenix that was playing in music hall and they're kind of doing some, you know, great 80s and, uh, you know, great sort of classic rock cover tunes so much fun that's the stuff that when i think of a royal caribbean cruise vacation that's the stuff that i sort of do all the time and you have a habit sometimes of just kind of wanting to keep doing the same thing over and over again that you're always doing but the royal caribbean cruise vacation really invites you to try something different that you've never done before now our good friend robin washington from royal caribbean was really encouraging me to try this thing called crown's edge it's really uh, the type of thing that I perhaps would not have tried, would not have done if I was not on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. It's kind of like a skywalk, a ropes course, sort of a thrill ride, sort of all com uh, combined into one thing. It's got some great theming around it. And I'll show you some of the video if you're watching here. Now, for some of you, this would not be as big a thrill as it was for me. So basically what I'm doing, if you're not watching on video, is you kind of walk across sort of like the, the the catwalk type thing and then you get and this is now if you're watching me live on video what you can't really quite tell is i'm suspended above the cruise ship essentially looking out over the ocean and you can see my uh, suit that i'm wearing there very very windy winds blowing now you get a chance to see me sort of sailing over the ocean kind of flying <laughs> I look pretty ridiculous, probably, but I am having a great time. And that's the sort of thing, Crown's Edge, that I would not have done if not for a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. I appreciate Robin Washington for really encouraging me to do it. I appreciate the folks at Royal Caribbean who took good care of me while I did. And for some of you, you'll say, well, listen, you know, something else is, I want, uh, you know, an even bigger thrill than that. Trust me, they got Category 6 water park. You can do all that if you want to. You can do pressure drop, the first open free fall water slide at sea you can do all that kind of stuff and eventually i might work my way up to that there as well but for me doing crown's edge on board icon of the seas was a kind of a first for me and i gotta tell you it was a really uh, a lot of fun and the sort of thing that listen that's what royal caribbean cruise vacations are all about doing something that perhaps you've never done before so big thanks to everybody on board icon of the seas for making that such a wonderful wonderful experience now let me dive in here. Now, oh, let me remind you also there as well. Jessica Slater, travel agent. We saw her on board. You can uh, reach out to her for your own trip on Icon of the Seas or 
to uh, be a part of our Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. Give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, jslater at dreamvacations.com. We are final days for our Dog Nation cruise. Final payments due here coming up in just a few days, I believe. So we've got to get on board, get excited about that. And if you've been on the fence, some of you I've heard from uh, Jessica and them, you've been talking, but you haven't quite pulled the trigger yet. It is time now to be on board icon of the seas we got a little bit of room left for you but it's like down to the wire to get you going there on that so reach out to jessica slater and she'll take care of you on all of that now let's go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and i want to start with where i just was with john a moment ago and that's giving some thoughts here about yesterday's afc and nfc championship games and it's interesting to see the Georgia tie. We just talked about the positive part of this, the Georgia players that will move on and have a chance to win a Super Bowl. I guess the negative tie into Georgia yesterday, a little bit of criticism coming Todd Munkin's way. Uh, I think a lot of folks sort of felt like Baltimore's game plan, a little too pass-heavy after a Chiefs defense that had really given up a lot of yards on the ground. Buffalo had had some success running the ball against uh, Kansas City, although not in a winning effort. Munkin kind of took some of the heat there on that yesterday. The honest truth is, is I don't really view Munkin as one of the top storylines for how the AFC title game played out. Going into the game, I thought any 50-50 call, Kansas City was going to probably get it for obvious reasons. Clearly that worked out pretty much exactly as you would have expected that it would. And unfortunately for Lamar Jackson, who's a thrilling player, he's my son's favorite player, a lot of folks' favorite player, Lamar Jackson, I would say, is a very different player in the postseason than he is in the regular season. That was sort of proven true once again. And Kansas City, who has a history of winning, I think kind of leaned on its history to uh, to get that win there yesterday. I'd say the same thing about the NFC title game there as well. Dan Campbell and the Lions, that's probably a, probably a team I was kind of openly rooting for just because we haven't seen them have a whole lot of success. Uh, John Stinchcomb talked about the personal tie he had to Detroit a moment ago. But once again, you know, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, they've kind of been in these spots before. They've been in this uh, place before, and that seemed like they sort of leaned on that experience there too. A couple of teams – that had more history of winning with these current coaches, current players in this spot, seemed to lean on that history to get the wins yesterday. You couldn't help but notice that. Um, let's talk about the Texas Longhorns here for a moment because a little earlier in the show, I discussed the notion that perhaps it's time for Georgia to kind of redefine itself as you move into 2024 and kind of embrace some of the newness that the SEC is going to offer and the chance to kind of view some new rivals to the program, not meaning you necessarily have to say goodbye to any old rivalries, but you maybe have a chance to embrace some new rivalries. And one of the ones that I mentioned was Texas. Now, as Texas comes into the SEC, I do think it's going to be really interesting to see exactly how they fit into this league because, boy, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the Big 12 that just does not seem to make a lot of sense to me from an SEC, kind of like viewing it from an SEC lens. The whole issue with like the horns down thing, the fact that that's so controversial in uh, in like Big 12 circles, you know, there was the Texas basketball coach of the day kind of pitching a fit about, you know, somebody saying it was the UCF players saying horns down in the, uh, in the handshake line after the game. By the way, if you're getting trash talked by UCF and you're bothered by it, that sort of tells you everything you need to know about, you know, what's not quite right with you when it comes to Texas maybe. But there was the thing where I guess the BYU student section had the front row spelling out horns down a little bit like, say, like, you know, how the spike squad would do at Sanford Stadium or something like that, had the horns down. They were asked to, to – to, 
get rid of that. Get rid of the horns down, you know, T-shirts, whatever it was they were wearing. Uh, we don't quite know if that came at the behest of Texas or not. But the whole idea that this is such a big controversy in the Big 12 just gives you an idea that if Texas is not careful, they're going to get their feelings hurt in a big way here in the SEC because you can't be that soft and thrive in this league. So it's going to be a little bit of a culture clash bringing that bunch into this league. It does create an opportunity for Georgia to kind of view a new rival. Texas has always been fairly easy to hate because there's a lot of pomposity there and a little bit of, I don't know, um, sense of entitlement perhaps, and maybe some of the hysteria around horns down as an example of that. Uh, a couple other stories here real quick. So you've perhaps seen Kayshawn Butte, the former LSU wide receiver now with the New England Patriots, is in some real hot water, got arrested on some gambling stuff here. So if I have the facts right, it's this. So over the course of his time being in LSU, and uh, you're talking about a, a guy who, according to NOLA.com, bet on 9,000 different sporting events, a total of like more than $600,000 worth of wagers on all of this, and he was doing this as a minor. I guess the big headline here is is that six of the games, at least six of the games that he bet on, were games involving LSU, and a couple of those were involving his own performance. You can do the player props, you know, the over-under on receiving yards, things like that, uh, you know, scoring an anytime touchdown, something along those lines. And Butte also bet on himself there and kind of did that as part of parlays and things like that. So this is a really big deal. And I would say that for Butte, his football career is very much in jeopardy just on the, you know, the fact that they're going to treat this as a pretty serious crime because he had to falsify, you know, stuff to to bet when he was younger than 21. So that's kind of an issue there. But also the fact that he was betting in his own game, that's going to be a big time violation of NCAA rules and things like that. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I really don't know what you're going to do about this. The comparison I would make is, do you remember if you're like me and you were going to concerts in, like, say, late 90s, early 2000s, you had the printed ticket from Ticketmaster. Did you ever have these? And on, the like, the printed ticket when you would go to a concert, like, one of the things that was, like, usually printed, like, right there on the ticket was, hey, no cameras, no recording devices. That was... That was just the biggest no-no in the world. You could not bring a recording device into a concert. But eventually, once everybody got the you know the smartphones, well, now everybody's got a recording device. And so all of a sudden now, you may want to be hard and fast rules against something like that being recorded, but the prevalence of everyone having this, everyone having access to a recording device, made that impossible to enforce. And part of me kind of wonders the same thing on the gambling front. You can treat player gambling on himself as the biggest no-no in the world. And to a certain extent, perhaps you possibly should. But just giving the ready access that exists for players in gambling, does this become a little bit like recording devices at a concert? That you may want this to be illegal or you may want this to be viewed as improper, but the sheer prevalence of it makes it impossible to enforce that. I kind of wonder. I also think the idea of players and their supposed inside information is probably a little bit overrated. I think if you'll notice, not everybody cares about gambling. I totally understand that. But if you'll notice the way that gambling gets covered in the sports news, almost every big sports site, sports entity, has some sort of connection to a sports book, you know, the the, the odds makers. Almost every big sports media entity has some connection to some sort of sports book. So therefore, all of the sports gambling news is sort of covered from a very sports book-centric perspective. In other words, here is how the average gambler is trying to defraud the sports book. That's sort of the vantage point that all of this gets covered from. I think there needs to be a lot more scrutiny in what the books are doing to the gamblers than what the gamblers are trying to do to the books, including the, uh, I guess, the athletes involved here there as well. So 
I feel like this is a story that's going to get a lot of attention because of the sheer magnitude of what Butte was doing. And clearly he's violated laws and rules. But moving forward, I don't know how easy any of this is going to be to enforce. And if you can't enforce it, then the question becomes, well, then what do you do about it? I'll give you one final story here there as well. So I saw where Jalen Milrow was asked about, you know, Kalen DeBoer, how you feel about DeBoer and all this. And, you know, the statement he gave was very kind of sort of matter of fact. Hey, you know, boy, he's a real personal guy, you know, really seemed to be getting along. This is very sort of generic. It wasn't bad. It wasn't overly good. It was just positive and warm, just, you know, sort of a pleasant statement. And I think for me, the nature of the statement, relatively short, not anything wrong with it, but still nonetheless, kind of a straight matter-of-fact statement, I think speaks to what I do believe is going to become one of the interesting stories of this upcoming year. Kalen DeBoer sort of already showed you that Julian Sayan, not his guy. He wanted Austin Mack instead. Uh, Julian Sayan has now moved on. He's at Ohio State, part of the big spending spree the Buckeyes have allegedly uh, been on here. Is Jalen Milrow... Kalen DeBoer's guy seems like the answer should be obvious. Milrow right now is one of the shortest favorites to win this year's Heisman Trophy. But we also saw, De, you know, Milrow at times not exactly thrive. He was benched for the USF game. Uh, we know how important quarterback play has been to DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, the brand new offensive coordinator. I think one of the interesting stories to look at right now, everybody's saying the right thing. Right now, perhaps everyone's even doing the right thing. But moving forward, is Milrow going to be Kalen DeBoer's guy. I think that's a little bit more of an open issue than some people probably realize. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as we wrap up things here today, we will do so with a golden shoe. Now, speaking of former uh, Georgian SEC ties to the uh, conference championship games, so uh, all, Doug Aldridge sends this to me. He says, this clown's been acting this way since college. And it's uh, Chauncey Gardner. <laughs> uh, freezing cold takes got this. Gardner apparently playing for the Lions when Detroit had a 20-7 to lead. Now, this is uh, Gardner on the sideline there. He's waving goodbye to the 49ers fans. Essentially calling ball game there in San Francisco yesterday. We know that it didn't quite work out that way. And I must agree with Doug here on this. Gardner, unfortunately, does have a little bit of a history of this kind of thing. A little bit too much celebrating, a little bit too much trash talk that was almost never backed up. I would say, unfortunately, for uh, Mr. Gardner, that's probably true. Freezing cold takes captured it. Doug shared it with me, so we'll give a golden shoe there for that. By the way, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, how about a Gator-hater updater for you here, there as well? It's now been 1,178 days since those lousy, stinking Gators have beaten Georgia. Georgia may embrace some new rivalries, but this is still the rivalry that matters more than any other. We love watching that number going up and up and up, and we'll see all of you back here again tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.